Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina, by Elder Michael Goins. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at BethelPBC.us. This morning, I call your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and the 7th verse. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I want to continue some of the thoughts that we introduced last week on the theme traveling light from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. You may remember we referenced the words of Jesus, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you shall find rest for your souls. Jesus says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So bring your heavy burdens to me, and take my light burden, my easy yoke, upon yourself. It is a fact that Jesus Christ would have his disciples to travel light, not to be encumbered with all of this excess baggage that we tend to accumulate in this world. In a chapter entitled The Luggage of Life, Max Lucado asks the question, haven't you been known to pick up a few bags in your life? I wonder how you would answer that. He says, odds are you did this morning. Somewhere between the first step on the floor and the last step out the door, you grabbed some luggage. You stepped over to the baggage carousel and you loaded up. He says, you don't remember seeing a baggage terminal? That's because the carousel is not the one in the airport. It's the one in your mind. And the bags we grab are not made of leather. They're made of burdens. The suitcase of guilt, a sack of discontent. You drape a duffel bag of weariness on one shoulder and a hanging bag of grief on the other. Add on a backpack of doubt, an overnight bag of loneliness, and a trunk of fear. Pretty soon you're pulling more stuff than a skycap. No wonder you're so tired at the end of the day. Lugging luggage is exhausting. Yes, my friends, as we start the new year, it's important for each of us, no doubt, to bring our excess baggage to Jesus. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Bring your weariness to me, Jesus says, and let's make a trade. I'll take your heavy burdens and you take the light burden of serving and following me. I want to get more specific today from this general concept of traveling light. And let's talk about one of the heaviest pieces of unnecessary baggage that you and I tend to carry every day in our lives. And that is the burden of fear. Our text says it like this, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Herbert Hoover, the late United States president, said the dominant emotion everywhere in the world is fear. That sounds like an exaggeration, but I think he's accurate. The dominant emotion everywhere in the world is fear. It's something each of us, whether we would admit it or not, 
can identify with. In fact, everybody's afraid of something. We are afraid of life and what it may bring, and we're afraid of death. We're afraid of change, afraid of the unknown. Many of us are afraid of other people. We're afraid of pain and suffering. We're afraid of things we don't understand and of situations that are beyond our control. 1 John 4.18 says, Fear has torment. I mean, it is a terrorist. It will torment you. Fear has torment. And Hebrews 2.15 says, Fear brings bondage. It makes a person a prisoner. Just as surely as an actual ball and chain, fear brings bondage into a person's life. It cripples and paralyzes an individual. Think of standing atop a high-rise building while it's under construction on one of those big metal beams. Would you be afraid? I would. And I would be paralyzed. Fear tends to cripple us and paralyze us. Fear is a heavy burden to carry through life. The first occurrence of fear in the Bible is in Genesis 3.10. When God walks in the garden in the cool of the day, And he calls to Adam and says, where art thou? And Adam, who with his wife is hiding in the garden, says, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. That's the first reference to fear in the Bible. Adam says, after the fall, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This verse teaches that fear began in human history at the very point when fellowship with God was broken. And fear in our lives is usually the result when fellowship with God is broken as well. Now, how would we define fear? How would you define it? Well, a dictionary definition, I think, is pretty accurate. Fear is an anxious feeling caused by the anticipation of some imagined event or experience. Now, the key word in that definition is the word imagined. Fear is an anxious feeling caused by the anticipation of some imagined event. Fear is generally in our minds. And by the way, the Bible contrasts imagination and meditation. You know, the word imagination is never used, not once, in a positive sense in the Bible. But the word meditation is. Imagination is something that is conjured up in our minds, but meditation is a response to the verbal revelation of God in Scripture. Meditate on His Word day and night, says Psalm 1. That's the happy man. Blessed is the man who meditates in God's Word day and night. But we're to cast down imaginations. The imagination of the heart in man is only evil continually. The word imagination is a negative word, but fear has to do with imagining, building images in our minds of things that might happen, the anticipation of some imagined event or experience. I like the acronym for fear, F-E-A-R, false, there's the F, false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. The philosopher Seneca said it like this, we are often more frightened than we are hurt. We suffer more from imagination than from reality. I know that's true in my life. How about you? And the philosopher Aristotle said, fear is pain arising 
from the anticipation of evil. Something bad is about to happen. There was a brother in the church I pastored in Kentucky who had a favorite line. Every Sunday I would say, how are you doing? He would say, well, so far, so good. <laughs> and I confronted him one day. I said, you know what, that, what you're saying is that you're expecting the world to come caving in on top of you at any moment, but so far you've escaped it. So far, so good. And that's the idea that many people live under. That idea that evil, that danger, that something terrible is about to happen. We live with that anticipation of evil. Since the fall of man then in the Garden of Eden, our lives in many cases are riddled with fear. There's the fear of death. That's probably one of the biggest fears that faces each of us. And you know, I never really was afraid of death when I was young. But as I get older, I notice that it is more and more a potential prospect. I know I'm getting close. Now, some of you are much closer than I am as the natural progression of life proceeds. But we all know that life is fragile, right? The book of Ecclesiastes describes life as a chandelier hanging from a slender thread, a silver cord that could easily be broken. And we know that our lives are brief and uncertain at best, right? Life is short, and we don't like to think about it. It's just too painful, and that's because we are afraid of death. Hebrews 2.15 speaks of the death of Christ, and one of the benefits of it in a practical sense, he says, is it delivers those who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Surely, my friends, when we remember that Jesus died and rose again, I mean, he came back from the ultimate tragedy, what we would consider the ultimate crisis, then certainly it has a delivering influence in our lives. But the fear of death, our lives are riddled with the fear of death. It's why we go to the doctor, it's why we take an aspirin, it's why we buckle up when we get in the automobile, and there's a certain healthiness to protecting ourselves, a certain wisdom in being cautious. You know, there's a healthy fear. You know, you tell your children not to go too close to the road. You try to make sure that they learn how to swim before they get into the water. We think about standing back from a hot stove, and certainly self-preservation is part of the image of God in humanity. I mean, it is a healthy thing, but you know, it can become an obsession in which we are very immobilized by the fear of death. And then there's the fear of man, or in popular terms, peer pressure. Now, every child has known what it feels like to struggle with peer pressure. That's the point that is made when somebody says, I'm afraid to stand in front of a crowd and to give a speech. Interesting, Dale Carnegie always taught that the number one fear in poll after poll and even before the fear of death, is the fear of public speaking. <laughs> People just don't want to stand up in front of others. Because why? Because you don't want to be laughed at or thought ignorant. Or you don't want to be the object of everybody's assessment. You don't want to be judged. But Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man brings a snare. Fear brings a trap. It brings into bondage. It torments, and it puts you into a bear trap. I like to watch some of these nature shows from Alaska. 
some of the cleanest television available today besides the Dallas Cowboy football games. <laughs> anyway, I like to watch these nature shows and these trappers who set their traps and then they go out to check them and every once in a while they get a mink, you know, or they'll get maybe a, a coyote or sometimes even a wolf. And uh, they'll, you know, sell the pelts and uh, make their living that way. But, you know, you think of those, the big, heavy, iron jaws of a trap. It says the fear of man is like getting caught in a bear trap. It's a snare. It brings a snare into a person's life. But, you know, most of us want to be liked. We want to be respected. We want other people to treat us with an semblance of respect and kindness. And uh, we don't want to put ourselves in a position in which we would suffer embarrassment or even potential rejection. And that's why so many young people, when they go to school, fall into the trap of yielding to temptation because of peer pressure. You know, all your friends are doing it, all of the people that are popular talk this way or are doing this certain thing, and you don't want to be considered the oddball, so peer pressure often is very powerful to get a young person to compromise his or her convictions and to go along with the crowd. The fear of man will bring you into a snare. Now, by the way, young people aren't the only ones who struggle with the fear of man, peer pressure. The rest of us do as well. If you're afraid that people aren't going to like you or they're going to think you're silly or foolish and that's the reason you won't stand up and uh, take a leadership role or speak up, then my friends, may I say, you're already in a snare. The fear of man bringeth a snare. In the final analysis, I love the words of C.H. Spurgeon, if we can have the smiles of God, of divine providence, if, if God is smiling on us, then we can afford to be indifferent to the opinions of men, whether they commend or condemn. And if we can't reach that point, we are mere babes and not men. Indeed, my friends, in the final analysis, it doesn't matter if somebody doesn't like me or thinks that I'm ignorant or ugly or a poor speaker. I know that God knows who I am. He sees my heart. And that confidence that he's the one that really matters, you know, study to show yourself approved unto God. He's the one that we want to please, right? Not other people, not men. Now, I don't want to needlessly offend people, but in the final analysis, I do want to please him. And if you can remember that, fear God and you won't be afraid of man. That's really what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 10, 28. Fear not them which can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him. And the fear of God is the only legitimate fear, a healthy respect for God. He's real. I want to please him. I want to do his bidding. And as long as we fear God, then that will dissolve every other fear in our lives if our eyes are upon him. You know, when Peter walked on the water, he saw the winds boisterous and he was afraid. And he began to sink in fear. Now, as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he could do the impossible, walked on the water. That is true for you and me as well, my beloved. So the fear of death, the fear of man, the fear of sickness and suffering. Psalm 91 verse 6 speaks of those who trust in the Lord and says, Thou shalt not be afraid of the pestilence that wasteth at noonday or the destruction that comes on the world. He says you won't be afraid of illness, sickness, pestilence, disease. There are many people who are afraid of sickness. 
They're afraid of suffering, afraid of pain. Now, I don't like pain. I'm a big fan of pleasure. But there's no way to escape pain in this world. You know, you see a little child that's just learning how to walk. The doctor slaps the little baby on the bottom as soon as it's delivered, and the child has its first rude awakening to the fact that there are things to fear in this world. But then they are cuddled and cradled and taken care of by mom and dad for a while, and all seems okay, but then when they start to walk, and they're so excited, but immediately they topple, you know, he topples down or he loses his balance and he skins his knee or bumps his head, and suddenly the world is a scary place. And that fear, like a snowball, grows. And the momentum increases until a person, if they're not thinking rationally, if they allow their imagination to run wild with them, their whole life can be controlled by the fear of potential danger, pain, suffering, to the point that a person says, I'm not leaving my house. You know, I used to tell my kids, uh, if you don't want any trouble, then don't move, don't leave your room, don't think, don't blink, don't breathe, don't do anything. And you say, well, I'm going to protect myself in order to protect life. But what kind of life is that? Life involves risk. Life involves stepping out of your comfort zone. It involves being willing to be considered foolish by giving a speech in front of a crowd. or It it involves taking the lead to express your opinion, even though you know people around you may strike back and disagree with you. Yet at the same time, the fear of God to please Him is the antidote to all of these other fears. So the fear of death, the fear of man, the fear of sickness. What about the fear of failure in life? Somebody said the three saddest verbs in the English language are could have been, might have been, should have been. That's because people fear failure that they live in the world of it might have been. The saddest words of tongue or pen are, it might have been. Now, let's say this. Fear is generally associated with the loss of something. If we were to analyze it, the reason we're afraid is because we don't want to lose something that we consider important and valuable to us. What about your eyesight? Is that important? But you know, when a person's eyesight begins to fail, maybe through macular degeneration or glaucoma or cataracts or some other eye problem and the doctor says we're the best we can do is just to try to stem the tide to keep it at bay to keep it from getting worse but the fact is your eyesight is on the wane you know that can be a very scary thing can you imagine facing life without being able to see when you've been able to see your whole life i remember when my dad started to go blind about a year and a half before he passed. It was a very scary thing. Of course, he went to great lengths and no doubt expense to try to get the treatments and take the meds and have the procedures done to help him to be able to see. But to lose sense perception, you know, that's something you consider valuable and important, right? So we fear the loss of the ability to see. What about the loss of independence? I remember both sets of grandparents as they reached the point that it was in question whether the Department of Motor Vehicles would give them a driver's license anymore. You know, they'd reached the age and their eyesight was poor and they'd had a few accidents. And and they said, well, if I lose my car, I'm not going to be able to go where I want, when I want. 
The loss of independence is a scary thing. Jesus told Peter in John 21 that when you were young, you girded yourself and went wherever you wanted. But he says, when thou shalt be old, another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. And he's simply describing something with which each of us is familiar, that there will come a point in each of our lives if Jesus tarries in which we will need help to be able to live. You say, well, I'm my own man. I'm independent. Well, that's fine. Do it as long as you can. I think it's noble and something to be admired. But at the same time, dear friends, each of us will reach a point if we live long enough in which others will make decisions that will affect us, carry us whither we would rather not go, and our lives will be at their disposal. But many people fear the loss of independence because that's valuable. That's considered to be important to them. What about the loss of companionship? You say, well, we've been married for 50, 60, 70 years. As far back as I can remember, we've been a couple. And I feel like I need this person, and suddenly they're gone. And the fear of the loss of a companion, my, that's a powerful fear. What about the fear of the loss of economic stability? You know, constantly we hear that the dollar is going to crash, that it's weakening, that the euro or the yen or some other form of monetary exchange has taken precedence over the American dollar. And one day our assets will be basically worthless. And we we listen to that long enough, and my friends, it can cripple you. You know, the only way I know to live is to live in the moment. Now, obviously, wisdom dictates that we anticipate the future. You know, a wise man, says Solomon in Proverbs, the wise man foreseeth the evil and then hideth himself. So he anticipates what could happen, and he takes precautions in advance to be able to take care of himself when that happens. But at the same time, dear friends, there's none of us who can control the future. You know, there was a time when people exchanged chickens when they didn't have gold and silver or the dollar to exchange. I know when I went to Africa back in 2013, we preached at Brother Obey's old in his home village. And one of the men there gave me a chicken. And I was grateful. I mean, a live chicken. I have pictures of it if you ever want to see it. A live chicken for preaching. Brother Sam and I had preached in a Pentecostal church that morning and uh, they were just carried away (laughs) and one of the men showed his gratitude by giving me a live chicken now that was an expensive gift for him and i was thankful for it but you know in the bus ride back to dar es salaam i was holding that chicken and i thought they're not going to let me on the plane with this (laughs) i don't know what i'm going to do with so i ended up giving it to one of the men that was carrying us around and he was glad to have it But the fact is, dear friends, you know, if the economy fails, if the dollar crashes, you say, well, I think I need that. Well, God will take care of you. I believe that. What about your marketability? You know, as I get older, I realize I'm less and less marketable. The world loves young people. They like the beautiful, the vigorous, the vibrant, you know, the athletic. They like, you know, the modeling ads. You don't usually see older folks on these uh, modeling clothes or on these ads. It's the young folks that carry the day. And the fact is, it sneaks up on you, and before you know it, you're 
almost over the hill and you say, I don't know if anybody would want to hire me. <laughs> you know, I'm not as marked. The loss of something you consider important. Fear. What about the loss of your mobility? Now, here's what I'm trying to say. We fear that we won't be wanted, won't be needed, that we will be irrelevant or forgotten. But notice our text this morning. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Even though there is a healthy fear, yet the fear that cripples our lives, the heavy luggage, the trunk of fear, as Max Lucado called it, that burden is not given by God. That's something that we conjure up in our minds. The word fear in our text, God has not given us the spirit of fear, means cowardice or timidity. I think that's interesting because the man to whom Paul is writing this is named Timothy. And preachers have properly called Timothy Timid Tim. He was timid. He, he seemed to be cautious and timid by natural disposition, by temperament. And on this occasion, he had reason to be timorous because the man who's writing this letter to him, his mentor in the faith, the Apostle Paul, is in jail. Now, why is Paul in jail? Well, he's in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's in jail for promoting a philosophy, an idea that is contrary to that which the secular society approved of. He's being persecuted for Christ's sake. And Timothy's afraid that the people who've done this to Paul will come and do the same to him. And Paul is writing his last letter. Second Timothy is called Paul's swan song. That is the last letter before he died. Tradition says that not long after he finished 2 Timothy chapter 4 and closed the letter, Paul was beheaded by Nero on the Ostian Way outside of the city of Rome. He died as a martyr. So this is his last letter, his parting shot. And the last thing he wants to do is not to make the case for his own legacy. I think it's interesting. Paul doesn't devote the four chapters of this letter to saying, I've done this and I've done that, and I want my name to be remembered. But Paul is concerned to encourage timid Tim to strengthen him lest he be swallowed up with fear. And he reminds him, Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear. I know you're afraid, but that didn't come from God. Cowardice and timidity is not from God. So it's not God's fault that we shrink in dread. Helen Keller said, avoiding danger. Now this is a blind woman. Remember, she's been blind since childhood, since earliest childhood. Blind and deaf. I would think that would be a scary way to approach life, to be blind and deaf. But she said later in her life, avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. The fearful are caught as often as the bold. Now, if you're timid like Timothy, and you're shrinking in dread, and you say, I don't want to be imprisoned and maybe martyred for the cause of Christ, it can paralyze a person from action. And Paul says, Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Did you know one of the most frequent imperatives in the Bible is fear not? Or the similar phrase, be not afraid. Over 250 times in both Testaments of the Bible, the Lord says, fear not. In fact, it's probably the most popular imperative in all the scriptures. More than anything else, God 
says to us, don't be afraid. We already quoted Matthew 10, 28. Fear not them that can kill your body, but they can't kill the soul. The Lord Jesus Christ would have his disciples to be fearless and bold in this world. Let me give you a couple of my favorite fear not passages. Genesis 15, 1. The second time the word fear is used in the Bible, Abraham has returned from rescuing Lot. He's taken his servants and made a makeshift militia of them and they've gone and they've done battle against these kings in the Valley of the Kings and he's brought Lot back with the spoils from the battle. But he knows that they're going to get vengeance. They're coming after him. You know that they're going to regroup and try to attack him and take their goods back. And God says to Abram, fear not, Genesis 15, 1. Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Abram, you have everything you need in me. I'm your defender. I'm your shield and defender. And I'm also your provider, your exceeding great reward. So don't be afraid at what might happen to you. That's one of my favorites. Another is Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for God says, I am with thee. And I want you to personalize this promise today. Don't be afraid, brother, sister, for God says, I am with you. He says, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. He's your God by covenant arrangement. He's my God, not because I chose him as mine, but because he chose me as his. I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, every time you read verses like that, insert your name. Insert the first person pronoun in place of the second person pronoun. He says, uh, fear not, for I am with thee. He's with me. He will help me. He will strengthen me. He will uphold me with the right hand of his righteousness. It's not inappropriate. It's not wrong to read the Bible that way. Make the promises your own. Claim them personally. Fear not. And as we close today, I want you to notice God's remedy for fear in our text. God has not given us the spirit of fear. There's the negative. But what has he given us? He's given us the spirit. And I think that is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit's presence and influence in our lives we have these three benefits power and love and a sound mind now let's put it in similar words we've been given ability that's power charity that's love and sanity that's a sound mind now god has not given us the spirit of fear what's the remedy what's the Antidote to the toxin of fear, it's power. Did you know that God's strength and ability is at your disposal this morning? Think about that. God's strength and power is available to you. Do you need power, strength to bear the burdens of life, to face tomorrow? Do you need ability? You say, Brother Mike, I just don't think I'm capable. I'm not adequate. I'm not sufficient. You have God's power at your disposal. Listen to this verse, Ephesians 1.20. Paul prays that the Ephesian saints would know the exceeding greatness of his power to believers, to us who believe. Now how do we believe? We believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from... So God has already exerted his power in bringing you to spiritual life and giving you the ability to believe. But that same power that quickened you and gave you spiritual life is at work in your hearts and lives right now, he says. 
the exceeding greatness of his power to us for that we he wants them to know or to experience the power of God. The thought is even clearer a couple of chapters later, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able, now do you think God has power, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think? <laughs> you can't even imagine what he's able to do. According to the power that worketh in us. God's power is at work in you. God's power, my friends, is available to you and me in our lives through the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our hearts. It's at work in our lives. I think about where I would be today had God not powerfully rescued me and turned my life around. And you know, every day I need that same strength. I need divine strength. I don't have enough energy or strength in my human frame to face tomorrow. But my friends, we've been given God's power. And you know, if you have power, there's no reason to be afraid. The strongest person on the playground is not afraid of anyone. The strongest country is not afraid of any competitor, any rival. Power brings courage. My beloved, you've got God's power on your side. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now my beloved, I feel weak. I'm sure you feel weak much of the time in life. But God's power is there for you to draw on. You say, well, how do I plug into that power? Through His Word, through prayer, through the fellowship of the saints. You see, God infuses His strength into our lives through Scripture, through prayer, through the church, through the gospel of His grace. Have you ever left the church feeling stronger than you did when you got here? That's because power has been given to us. God has not given us fear, the spirit of fear, but He's given us through the Holy Spirit power. And power is an antidote. God's power, which is working in your life, it's there available to you to draw on and to utilize as you face each day. You say, I just don't have the strength to face this situation at work tomorrow. You can do it through Jesus Christ. We can do all things through Christ that strengthen us. Now, where do you need strength more than anywhere else? I need it not in my back or in my shoulders or in my biceps. I could use a little more at all of those places, but you know where I really need strength? In my soul. I need strength in my inner man. Paul prays for the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ would strengthen you with strength by His Spirit in the inner man. I need strength in my soul. Psalm 138, verse 3 says, When I cried unto thee, then thou answered me and strengthened me with strength in my soul. Not only power, ability. You've been given ability. You're capable. You have the ability through Him to face whatever comes. But He's also given us the spirit of love or charity. The word charity and love in the Bible both come from the same word agape, which means sacrificial love. A love that deems the other person more important than self and that is willing to lay down my life for your benefit. It's sacrificial love. That's charity. God has given us the spirit of love. Did you know when I think about how much he loves me, when you think about how much he loves you, that thought, meditation, will dissolve the imagination of fear. Sometimes I will see a little child sitting on his or her mother's lap, maybe at a doctor's office, you know, here's a little child, 
that little child is just as happy as a lark. That little child is carefree, doesn't have a worry in the world. You've seen it, haven't you? Now, is there anything in the world to be worried about, to be afraid of? There may be an injection in the doctor's office that that child's going to get. That's not going to be a pleasant. That child's not worried about. You know why that child doesn't have any fear? Because that child is confident in the love of its mother. Perfect love casteth out fear. And if you and I are confident that God loves us, if I'm confident that God loves me, my beloved, may I say that will dissolve my fear into irrelevance. The answer to fear is to just think about how much he loves you. Do you think God is going to let anything ultimately happen to you that will take your soul away from him? Do you think God is going to allow the worst that could happen to happen to you? He is so merciful. He loves you. Believe it. Live in the light of it, dear friends. It will resolve the burden of fear. You're carrying a heavy weight on your back. There's no need to. It's unnecessary. Because God loves his children with an everlasting love and nothing will ever change that fact. And then finally, sanity. Ability, charity, sanity. A sound mind. God has given us a sound mind. This comes from the Greek word sophron, which is a very familiar root in the New Testament. It means health. A healthy mind. Now, we speak of mental illness. That's a mind that is not healthy. It's sick. But to have a healthy mind, a sound mind, is a blessing from God. Healthy thinking, as opposed to building imagination. Healthy thinking leads to self-control in a person's life. That's the idea here. A sound mind. Just like the wild Gadarene, after Jesus got through with him, was sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. Remember that? Look how calm he is. Look how serene he is. He's not afraid anymore. He's not afraid that somebody's going to, to mistreat him. You know, a lot of aggression is fear-based. Have you ever noticed that? I've got a dog who's pretty aggressive. Some of you have knocked on my door and discovered that. I'm so sorry. But uh, he's aggressive because of fear. And a lot of people you see in this world are ready to strike at you first because they're so afraid. You know, they wear these shirts, these t-shirts say, no fear. But really, the people that have to advertise that are probably more afraid than anybody else. They have more fear. And that's why there's such violence and viciousness in the world. And you know, I've found if you'll just be kind to people and treat them with respect and have a smile on your face when you go out in public, that a lot of times people will lighten up and just converse with you and they get over that tendency to be afraid that somebody's going to mistreat them. Well, there's a sound mind, that healthy thinking that leads to calm and poise under duress. Philippians 4.8 says it like this, Think on things that are true. Notice, not imagination, but meditation. Think on things that are true, and whatsoever things are lovely, and whatsoever things are of good report, and whatsoever things are pure, and whatsoever things, he says, are praiseworthy. He says, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, watch this, and the God of peace shall be with you. That's a sound mind. That's a person who has calm, self-controlled poise of spirit 
because their thinking is on the things that are true and, and of good report. It's sanity, ultimate sanity. Now that's what is available to you this morning. Ability to meet your burdens and your problems and your challenges. Love in spite of whatever happens, God still loves you. And he loves you enough to take care of you. And the peace that passes all understanding, a sound mind. My friends, that's God's antidote for fear. In a, in a word, we're saying what David said in Psalm 56.3, what time I'm afraid, I'm going to quit focusing on my fears and I'm going to trust in thee, O God. Faith in God is the answer to fear. Henry Light wrote the hymn, Abide With Me. And there's a verse in that hymn that is not in our hymn book, but I like it. It says, I fear no foe. Think about this. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Fear not, my beloved. Unburden your mind. Jesus is capable of handling your case. Abide with